Hey guys. How are you? How was the box sled? Who got hit by a box sled while just trying to watch? Okay, are you guys okay? Who was in the box sled that ran them over? Wait, you raised your hand both times. Did you fall out of the box sled and then get hit by that same box sled? It's just carnage. Who knows what's going on? All right, well, you know, I, I think that's the first time I've seen innocent bystanders get run over by a box sled, but it was entertaining, I'll tell you that. I'm glad you guys are okay. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, we're, we're going to jump back in to scripture tonight, um, but tonight we're not going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been looking at Ecclesiastes, we've been looking at what Solomon says there in Ecclesiastes, but you know, sometimes, especially for a pessimist, it's really easy to point out problems, right? But it's a lot harder to give solutions. Now, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon points out so many problems of life under the sun. But in Ecclesiastes, he doesn't give us a lot of solutions to those problems. And in fact, if, if all that we had in scripture was just the book of Ecclesiastes, um, well, we would have all of these problems, but not a lot of solutions, because I think the real solutions to the problems that we've seen in Ecclesiastes, that problem of life under the sun, the problem that everything in this world is, is temporary, that nothing lasts forever, that even we don't last forever, at least in this world, and that, that other problem, the problem of sin, the problem of, of trying to find purpose in places where, where we shouldn't seek it, those things actually don't find their solutions in the book of Ecclesiastes, at least not in its clearest and fullest sense. So tonight, what I wanna do is I wanna go somewhere else in scripture where we see a very clear answer to those two big problems of mankind, those two big problems of humanity, the problem of the temporariness of life and the problem of the guilt of our sin. Where we find the solutions to those problems is in the book of Ephesians, way over in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter two. So if you wanna open up to Ephesians chapter two, while we're turning there, let me pray. Dear God, God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that you don't simply point out problems without offering solutions. So God, I pray that tonight, as we look at your divine, merciful, loving, gracious solution to the two big problems of mankind, to the two big problems that every single one of us faces, the problem of purpose and the problem of guilt, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of the gospel, that you would help us to see exactly how you give us purpose, you give us meaning, you give us hope, you give us grace, you give us mercy, you give us salvation through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So Father, be with us this evening as we open your word. May it drive us to know you better, to love you more, to serve you more faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, we'll be in Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna start tonight in verse one. So what we'll do is we're gonna really go through the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter two. 
Because I think what happens in those 10 verses is Paul, the author of Ephesians, he starts by reminding us of these problems that we've seen in Ecclesiastes. And then he goes and he tells us the solution. So we'll start in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. This is what he says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, he starts this chapter by telling us the human condition, by describing what we are like on our own. And what are we, what are we like? Well, we are people with those two big problems. There's the temporal problem, the problem for life in this world, that problem of meaninglessness. And how does he describe it? He says that we are following the prince of the power of the air following the course of this world, living like everyone else, searching for meaning in all of these different things. In verse three, he says, we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That's what we saw this morning. That's what Solomon did. He lived in the passions of his flesh. When he found that there was nothing that had meaning, he gave himself over to whatever his heart desired, right? He said, if my eye wanted to look at something, I looked. If my stomach wanted to eat something, I would eat it. I would do anything and everything that my flesh desired. And that's the reality for every single one of us on our own. In fact, in Romans chapter six, it actually describes our relationship with our own flesh, with our own sinful desire. It describes it as slavery. In Romans chapter six, it says that we are enslaved to the passions of our flesh, that we are powerless to do anything against those passions, that we are completely given over to our desire. We're completely caught in this cycle of seeking meaning and purpose and hope in everything under the sun. And so Paul here is saying that describes every single one of you. Whether you're a kid who's grown up in church, who, who on the outside, you're a good kid and you do the right things and you say the right things and, and you know the, the memory verses and all this stuff, but if you don't know Jesus, then you are enslaved to your flesh. You might look good from the outside, but you are still trapped in your sin. And you are powerless to do anything against it on the basis of your own self-righteousness. Because you're following the course of the world. You're following the prince of the power of the air. Who's the prince of the power of the air? Guys, that's Satan. In 1 John, John breaks down all of humanity into two groups. He says, on the one hand, there are those who have been born of God, the sons and daughters of God, and on the other hand, there are those who follow their father, the devil, that there's no in-between. So this is, this is the reality for every single one of us on our own. 
We are trapped in our sin, enslaved to our sin, seeking meaning and purpose in everything under the sun, worshiping everything other than the God who made us by and through and to himself. We're enslaved to our sin and we are powerless to break its bonds on us. And that's just in this life. That's, that's just the reality of who we are under the sun, but there's also an eternal reality of who we are on our own. And he described that here in Ephesians chapter two as well when he said, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then later in verse three when he says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, what does that mean? Children of wrath means that because of our sin, because of our false worship of these false gods, because of our idolatry, we deserve the wrath of God. The God who made us for himself, who made us to know and love and worship him, when we have worshiped other things and served other things and desired other things more than we've desired him, we have rightfully brought on ourselves his righteous wrath. That we deserve his wrath, we deserve his punishment. It's what we've earned. We are by nature children of wrath and we are powerless to do anything about it. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead things can't make themselves alive again. There's no amount of effort, no amount of good deeds, no amount of memory verses, no amount of church attendance, no amount of going to camp, no amount of reading the Bible, no amount of good things that we can do in order to raise ourselves back to life. There's no amount of good deeds that we can accomplish in order to free ourselves from slavery to sin and the punishment for our sin that every one of us deserves. We are dead in our sin, and we are powerless to fight against it. As powerless to fight against our sin, as the animal smushed in the middle of the road is powerless to bring themselves back to life. That's the picture of the state of mankind on our own. That's the reality of every single one of us on our own. If you're not in Christ, if you've not put your faith and trust in Christ, that is the reality of who you are spiritually today. That's the problem for mankind. It's a temporal one in the here and now that we are enslaved to our sins and we're seeking after purpose in everything under the sun. And it's an eternal one in the sense that we rightly deserve God's righteous wrath against us. We deserve hell because we have committed treason against the king of the universe. That's how Ephesians 2 starts. But then there's this incredible, powerful, life-changing, eternity-changing phrase that comes along in verse four. 
That's who we are, that's what we're like, that's the state of mankind, but then verse four, but God. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, we are enslaved to our sins, we are powerless to do anything against it, we cannot fight against our sin on our own power, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, but God comes along and everything changes. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And it is by grace you have been saved. Every one of us on our own, we are dead in our sin, we are deserving of punishment, we are trapped in our sin, we are powerless to fight against it, but God is so rich in love and mercy that while we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. He's so rich in mercy and love and grace. How rich is he? How rich is he in mercy and love and grace? We see the answer to that question in the most famous passage in the Bible in John chapter three. In John three sixteen, where it says this, for God so loved, this is how much God loves his people, this is how much God loves the world, he so loved them, he was so rich in love, so rich in mercy, so rich in grace, he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should no longer be dead in their sin, should no longer be under the wrath of God, but should have eternal life. How rich is God in love and mercy? He is so rich in love that he gave his only son. Now I know that a lot of you guys in here, you've spent a lot of time in church. I know you've, you've grown up in the church and I'd be willing to bet that most of you in here know John 3.16. That you've heard that verse a thousand times. But do you ever stop and actually listen to it? For God so loved the world. Why did he love the world? He loved the world because he's God. He loved the world because he is loving and merciful and gracious. He loves his people not because of any merit in us, but because of his free love and grace and mercy. In the book of Romans it says God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not because we earned his love, it's not because we deserve his love, it's because he is merciful and gracious because he is rich in mercy and love. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son. Jesus came down for us. Jesus was sent for us only when he sent his only son. He didn't send him on a little vacation for a few weeks. Do you realize the weight of what it means that Jesus was sent for us? It means that he left behind heaven for us. It means he left behind the the incredible privileges of his deity for us. In Philippians 
chapter two, it describes it like this. It says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, that means that he was in very nature God. He is God and he has been God since eternity past. He will be God into eternity future. He is God himself, who is in very nature God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. All of the privileges of his deity, all of the privileges of being God, all of the benefits of being the creator and ruler of all things, he didn't consider that something to be grasped onto and held onto, but instead it says he emptied himself. He emptied himself, he opened his hand and emptied himself of all of those privileges and benefits of his godhood, and he humbled himself. And he took on flesh and says, and he was born in the likeness of sinful men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For God so loved the world. Who's the world? It's you and me. It's sinful, traitorous people who deserve nothing but God's wrath. And he loved us so much that he sent his son, not on a vacation, but Jesus Christ, who had spent eternity in heaven with the Father, emptied himself of all of the privileges of his godhood, of his deity and he came down and he was born as a little baby and he lived a perfect life, never once sinning, never once breaking the law of God, a perfect life, always following God and never seeking the things of this world. And he loved us so much that he didn't just come to visit but he came to die. And he humbled himself to the point of death even death on a cross. And maybe you've heard stories about the horrific, painful death that a death on a cross was. Maybe you've, you've heard people tell you about the physical pain that Jesus endured as he was beaten and whipped and nailed to a cross. And maybe you've heard about the humiliation that he suffered as he was forced to walk down the streets naked with, with nothing covering him, with carrying his cross so weak that he couldn't even do it on his own power. As he was beaten and, and spat on and mocked and ridiculed. But here's the thing, when Jesus went to the cross to die for you and for me, the greatest pain of that was not physical. It wasn't the, the beatings, and it wasn't the bleeding, and it wasn't the, the whipping, and it wasn't the being nailed to the cross. The greatest pain of that wasn't emotional. It wasn't that, that he was mocked and ridiculed and called names and made fun of and, and spat on. No, the greatest pain of that was spiritual. Because Jesus Christ 
the eternal Son of God, God himself who had always been in eternal, loving relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit. He came down and he lived and he died and when he went to that cross, the eternal son who had felt nothing but the father's love through all eternity in that moment had the full force of the wrath of God against your sin and against mine poured out on him. And he felt the father's justice. He felt the father's wrath, his hatred against sin. Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. In 1 Peter it says that he bore our sin in his body on the tree, on the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For God so loved the world. He loved sinful people like you and me so much that he sent his son to live a perfect life, and to die a painful death. To take the wrath of God against your sin and against my sin on his shoulders. To pay the penalty that we deserve. To pay the price of our treason against our king. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. But he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead because, if we keep reading back there in Philippians, it says he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus humbled himself for us and he died for us, but then he also rose again for us. He died to take our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, and then he rose again that we too might have new life in him. He rose again conquering sin and conquering death in order that we might not just be saved from our sins, but that we might have new, eternal, abundant, everlasting life. We all have the same problem. We all have this problem of purpose. This problem of life under the sun. This problem of living in the world where nothing lasts forever. We all seek purpose in everything under the sun in places that promise to give us what we're looking for but all that they bring is death. We all have this problem of guilt that we've sinned against God and so we deserve his righteous wrath against us. We deserve to pay the penalty for our sin. But God so loved us. He so loved the world that he sent his son to live for us, to die for us, and to rise again for us that whoever believes in him 
Whoever puts their faith and trust in him, whoever finds their purpose in him, not in the things of this world, but knowing and loving and serving him, whoever says Jesus is my only hope for salvation, shall not perish, will not die. Our physical bodies might die. We might die and be buried in the ground, but our spirits will live. We will not face spiritual death, but we will have eternal, everlasting life. And what is that everlasting life? What does that actually look like? How does that actually play out? Well, just as we have these two problems, the the problems under the sun, the temporal problems in this world, and the eternal problems, everlasting life is both a temporal reality, a reality for life right now, a reality under the sun, and it's an eternal reality. So if we continue reading on, back in Ephesians chapter two, first we see the eternal reality of the everlasting life that Jesus has accomplished for us. It says this, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. What is everlasting life? First of all, it's being saved. It's being made alive together with Christ. No longer dead in our sins, but now alive with Christ. Justified, made right with God made right with God, holy in the eyes of a holy God. We are made alive. We continue on, we see that it goes even further, and verse six, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, part of being made spiritually alive in Christ is that we have the promise of a new destination. That on our own, we're dead in our sin, we are children of wrath, and we are deserving of eternity in hell. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're not only given new spiritual life, but we're promised an eternity not under the wrath of God, but in the mercy and grace of God, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're given new spiritual life. We're given a new ultimate destination in heaven. And we're also adopted into the family of God. If we jump down a little further in Ephesians chapter two and verses 13 and 14, we see this says that we were once far off, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, we're adopted into the family of God by the work of Jesus that all of us together as one family, the family of God might call him our father. We've gone from being slaves to sin to being sons and daughters of the king of the universe. 
our eternal problem of being under the wrath of God because of our sin is solved in the work of Jesus as we move from death to life, from hell to heaven, from slaves to sin, to sons and daughters of God. And often when we talk about the gospel, that's what we talk about. Because that stuff is eternally important. But the everlasting life that Jesus promises is not an everlasting life that starts the day you die on this earth. The everlasting life that Jesus brings to us doesn't just solve the eternal problem of mankind, it solves the problem under the sun. It solves the problem of purpose. The everlasting life that Jesus lived and died and rose again to give you and to give me, it doesn't start when we die, it starts now. Because if we continue reading in Ephesians, listen to what he says in verses eight and nine. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, in the here and now, the everlasting life that Jesus promises gives us freedom. Freedom from our sin, but also freedom from the need for self-righteousness. Because we don't earn our way to heaven, we can't. It is the free gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one should boast. We are freed from having to be good enough. We are freed from having to earn our way there. We are freed from the need for self-righteousness because in Christ we realize we could never be good enough. We are dead in our trespasses and sins and it's only by the work of Jesus that we might approach the throne of God as sons and daughters. And so we're freed, only that doesn't mean that we're freed to go off and sin however we want. That doesn't mean that we're free now and so we're under grace and so we can just do whatever we want and there are no consequences because look what he says right after that. He says, it is not the result of works so that no one should boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We started this weekend talking about purpose. You wanna know what your purpose under the sun is? You wanna know what your purpose in this life, in these 70 or 80 or however many years you have on this earth, you wanna know what it is? You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus that you might do good works that he has prepared beforehand for you to do. You see, this everlasting life, it brings us freedom and it brings us purpose. Freedom from our sin, freedom from the needs of self-righteousness and purpose in loving and serving and following and honoring God in our actions in our lives. Tomorrow morning, we're gonna talk more about what that looks like. What it looks like to serve and to honor and to follow God in our lives. What it looks like to walk in those good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should do. But tonight, I want us to just end on this. Are you dead? 
Are you dead in your trespasses and sins? I know your hearts are beating. I know your lungs are breathing. But is your spirit alive? Or is your spirit dead because of your sin? Are you trapped, enslaved to your sin, powerless to do anything about it? Or have you turned from your sin, put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your only hope for salvation, been given new spiritual life by him, trusted in his payment for your sins on the cross, trusted in his resurrection, in order to give you new life. Because if you haven't done that, then you are by nature children of wrath. You're deserving of God's righteous wrath against your sin, and there's nothing you can do to change it. But if you turn from your sin, you put your faith and your trust in Christ. You ask him to, to pay for your sins. That he would bear them in his body on the tree, on the cross, and give you new life. Then that everlasting, eternal life can begin today and continue on through eternity as God makes known the glories and the riches of his mercy towards you in Jesus Christ. Are you sitting here this evening dead in your sin? Or maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, okay Chip, I, I, I get this. I, I've put my faith in Christ, I've prayed the prayer, I've done the whole thing, but, but I still feel trapped in my sin. I still feel like a, like a slave to this sin, this thing I keep falling back into. I still feel this lack of meaning and purpose. If that's you, then what I wanna tell you is this. You have freedom in Jesus. It might feel like you're trapped in that sin, but scripture says that you are filled with the very same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And by the power of the spirit of God, you can overcome and conquer that sin in your life. And that you've been given true and real and powerful eternal purpose in this world, in this life right now. And all you have to do is to walk in that. To live it out. To live on the outside, what scripture says is already a reality on the inside if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus. So here's what we're gonna do this evening. In just a bit, I'm gonna pray for us. And I'm not gonna ask you guys to raise your hands or to stand up or do anything like that. But if you feel the, feel the spirit of God working in your hearts this evening, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe, maybe you've acted like you have because you're the church kid, you're the good kid. 
Maybe you've acted like you put your faith and trust in Christ, but in reality, you're realizing right now that you've never done that, and you've only ever trusted in your own self-righteousness and your own ability to be good enough, but you're sitting here tonight knowing, I see that I'm not good enough, I can't be good enough, but I want to trust in Christ for the first time. If you wanna do that this evening, then in just a little bit, when we dismiss everybody, I want you to stay here. I want you to stay behind. I want you to talk to your counselor. I want you to bear your soul, to share what God is doing in your heart this evening, to pray with them, to go before the throne of God and say, I've sinned against you. And my only hope is in your mercy and grace. I want to turn from my sin and I want to trust Jesus with my eternity. Or maybe you're here and you've already trusted Christ. You've already put your faith and your hope in him and him alone, but you still feel like you're living, following the course of this world. And you want that to change. You say, I want my life on the outside to reflect what the work that God has done on the inside. You want to commit to not just walking the, not not just talking the talk, but but walking the walk and really living out this eternal, abundant, everlasting life today. You want to commit to that this evening. Then when I dismiss everybody, I would like you to stay back as well. Talk to your counselors, ask your questions, open scripture with them, go before the Lord in prayer. This is the incredible good news of the gospel. We were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, but God, because of his rich love and great mercy, has made us alive together with Christ. If we confess with our mouths, believe in our hearts, if we confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the incredible, abundant, extravagant love of the gospel. That you so loved this sinful world. You so loved sinners like us, rebels like us, that you sent your son, that you came down You left heaven in order to come down to earth to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, and to rise again as a conquering king in order that we might not face the punishment that we deserve, but that we might have salvation, the life that you have earned. God, I pray for these students in here. I pray for those who already know you. I pray that they would live lives of purpose. That they would realize that they have been created by you and then recreated in Christ Jesus as new creatures with the purpose of walking in the good works that you have prepared beforehand, that they may walk in them. And I pray for the students in here who have never put their faith and trust in you before who came up to camp this weekend dead in their sins. God, I pray that you would continue to do a work in their hearts, a work in their lives, that tonight 
they might go from being dead in their sins to being alive in the power of Christ. They, they would have everlasting, eternal, abundant life by the power of your work on the cross. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do. We thank you for your extravagant love poured out in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.